pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you for your word, and we thank you that it's living and breathing, and Lord, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. I just pray that right now your word would just reach down into our hearts, Father God, and Lord, you would just minister to each one of us. We thank you that no one's here by chance, that Lord, before the foundation of the world, you divinely appointed this evening. And Lord, we thank you that you're here with us. Lord, so we ask that you would teach us, you'd minister to us. Lord, just exhort us, encourage us, Father God, from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, if anybody needs a Bible, raise your hand. Anybody need a Bible? We've got plenty. If you need to take it home, right here in the front. If anybody else needs one, you can borrow one. If you just want to borrow one, you can take it home with you. It's our gift to you. Well, Leviticus 16. And you know what? Leviticus has been a great book. Amen? Remember at the very beginning of Leviticus, I said, how many people studied through Leviticus before? And one hand went up in the whole church, all right? So in a few more, in about another couple months, you'll all be able to raise your hand because you've been here. But the great thing about Leviticus is, is we've just seen such clear pictures of our Savior all over the book. The first ten chapters, if you'll recall, we looked at the sacrificial system. And it's awesome to see how the Lamb of God points to Jesus Christ, and how the bull, you know, the, the one that bears the burdens points to Jesus Christ. And, and everything that we saw in the first ten chapters, every, every sacrifice pointed to Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice. Then the next five chapters, chapters 11 through 15, we saw the laws of purification. We saw the contrast between clean and unclean. We started with looking at clean and unclean food. If you remember, the clean food was the, the food that had divided hoofs and, and chewed the cud. Remember how we talked about the fact that that pointed to a divided walk? And for chewing the cud, the word is meditate. Those who walk set apart to God and those who meditate on His word. And it's just such an awesome picture, even as you look at the food that they ate, that all points to something that applies to our lives. Now, the last couple weeks, we looked at two real big contrasts. In chapters 13 and 14, we looked at leprosy. And leprosy is a typology of what? Sin. And leprosy, remember, was a heavy-duty disease that everybody knew you had it. So not only did you get this disease that would destroy your life and was a death sentence, because everybody that got it would die. And when they told you, they would bring you before the priest, and we saw in chapter 13 that they had a way of examining to see if you had leprosy. It'd probably be like finding out that you, you know, you had this inoperable disease today. And when they told you you had it, you knew you were going to die. There was no treatment, and you also knew that not only were you going to die, but you were going to die a slow and painful and grotesque death, and you were going to be isolated from your family. It was just heavy-duty leprosy. Now in chapter 14 we saw that they told you how, to, how they were to cleanse somebody. After somebody had been healed of leprosy, what the priest must do to cleanse them. But the sad part is that in 1,500 years from when this text was written in Leviticus until Jesus came, there's only one person ever recorded being healed of leprosy. And it was a Gentile man by the name of Naaman who, unless, I, unless something odd happened, I wouldn't think that he would. He would have no reason to go present himself to a priest. So the priests for 1,500 years were carrying this law around. They never used it until Jesus came. And when Jesus would touch lepers, remember what happened. He healed many lepers. And what's awesome is they had a death sentence, leprosy. And they've been isolated from their families and they couldn't go into the temple. and They couldn't fellowship anymore and their limbs were falling off and their teeth were falling out and their noses were falling off and their skin was oozing. It was bad news. Can you imagine what would have happened to a leper when Jesus touched them and transformed their life? You want to talk about somebody being excited. And you know what? I believe that we as believers should be more excited about our salvation than a leper is being cleansed of leprosy. Amen? 
And too often we, we, oh, I've been a Christian so long, it's just, well, it's just part of who I am. I'm a, you know, I'm a Santa Cruzan and I'm a, you know, I'm a surfer and I'm a this and I work at this job and then, a, and oh yeah, I'm a Christian. It shouldn't be that way. You know, if you've been healed of leprosy, that'd be following you around the rest of your life. Dude, that guy used to be a leper and then look at him now. It's looking good, right? His skin's all pink. Look at him, right? I mean, people would be excited. But here's the thing, as Christians, it should be the same kind of a testimony. And so after leprosy, though, and last week in chapter 15, we saw a total contrast. We were from the sin that everybody would see. If you had leprosy, everybody knew it. And, if, and if, if someone walked near you and you had leprosy, you had to scream out, unclean, basically, get away from me because I'm condemned to death. And if you come near me, I'm gonna, you're going to be dead too. Great disease to have, right? Well, then you go from that, though, to chapter 15 last week. And we saw not sins that everybody would know about, but sins that nobody would know about. And there were the hidden sins that people have, and we saw how those hidden sins, even when people don't know about them, they still contaminate those nearest to us. They still impact our family. They still impact our marriages. They still impact our walk with the Lord, our fellowship with God, our relationship with others. And we talked last week, and I want to just continue to encourage you. If you've got sin in your life that nobody, you think nobody knows about, there is somebody who knows. And it's the only one that matters, and the one that knows is God. And it's so important that we not fall into the trap of thinking we can hold on to certain sins in our life. And so we saw that contrast between leprosy and the hidden sin. And the good news is in both cases that the Lord desires to heal us. Of the sins that everybody can see and the sins that nobody sees, God wants to touch you and transform your life and heal you and make you more into His image every single day. So we come this week after looking at uh, clean and unclean and now we're going to look at the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement, it, right here in the middle of Leviticus, is a pretty awesome thing. The theme of Leviticus, if I had to give it one word, the word I would use is holiness. The whole book is really about how we as believers are to walk in holiness. The sacrifices were showing that we were sinners in need of a Savior. You see the difference between clean and unclean, it's all pointing to man's sinfulness and man's desperate need of God. And his desire that we would walk in holiness with Him. And we'll look more at that. And I want to say this, that I was a youth pastor, most of you know, for about 15 years. And sometimes people think that the word holiness is, is equal to the word uh, no fun, or boring, or what a drag, or you know, black, you know, black robe with a wheelbarrow full of rules, hitting yourself in the face with a board every three steps, but you get to go to heaven when you're finally done, right? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, all right. But holiness equals happiness. You know why? Because when you're walking in holiness, you're walking in the center of God's will. And when you walk in the center of God's will, you're doing what God created you to do, which is to have a, an intimate relationship with Him. And so we're going to see more of an emphasis on holiness. Now the Day of Atonement, as we're going to look at here tonight, it's called something else. The Jews call it something else. What are they called? Who knows? What's it called? Day of Atonement? What's it called? It's another name. Yom Kippur. You ever heard of that? Okay, Yom means day. Kippur means atonement. So Day of Atonement. If you go back to Genesis and it says that God created the heavens and the earth, it talks about a day, the word is Yom, same word that you see here. So the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, this was the most religious and special day in Judaism and still is today. It's the Day of Atonement. It's the day of realizing that your sins can be paid for. But we're going to see as we look at the Day of Atonement tonight, we're going to see very clearly how it points once again to Jesus Christ. We're also going to see very clearly that the Day of Atonement that they had fell short, and it fell short for several reasons. It covered their sin, that's what the word atonement means in Hebrew, it means to cover. 
And we talked about what does atonement mean. Again, I'm an old youth pastor. At one meant, right? At one with God. When you've been atoned for, your sins have been atoned for, you're at one with God. That's what atonement really points to. It's not the removing of sin, but the covering of sin. And the reason for that is that sin cannot be removed by the blood of a bull, a goat, or a lamb. Now, we've been talking for weeks. Wait a minute, Pastor Dave. You told me for weeks about all these sacrifices that they'd made in the Old Testament. You're telling me that that didn't pay for sin? And the answer is, no, it didn't. You know why? Because if that could pay for sin, Jesus Christ would not have had to die on the cross. Amen? It covered sin. It pushed sin forward to the coming Messiah. It was, a, it was a foresight or foreknowledge of what was to come in the Messiah ultimately. And we're going to see some more of that tonight, but all of it again will ultimately point to the Lord. So let's begin in chapter 16. And we're going to see a couple of things. We're going to first see the preparation of the high priest. How he must enter into the Holy of Holies. He must be prepared to do that. We're going to see the identification of the, of the required sacrifices. We're going to see atonement for the priest himself, that he has to be cleansed, even though he's the priest. The atonement of the tabernacle, the atonement for the people, and then the reason that they have, that they had a day of atonement. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at the day of atonement. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. Have you noticed almost every chapter in Leviticus starts the same way? Every one of them pretty much says, now the Lord spoke to Moses. You know, I believe that God still wants to speak to us today. Amen? And it's not that God's not speaking, it's we're not listening. Amen? God wants to minister to us just like He did to Moses. But it says, now God, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. If you were here for Leviticus chapter 10, in Leviticus chapter 10 there were these two sons of Aaron, their names were Nadab and Abihu. Good names, right? And their names meant free gift or generous, and he is my father or worshiper of God. They were the two oldest sons of Aaron. Aaron is the high priest. So these guys are, are PKs. They're priest kids, right? And so they've grown up. They know the truth. They were there when the Red Sea parted. You know, they were there when they were delivered out of bondage. Uncle Moses, right? They got their Uncle Mo, right? Who's been up on the mountain, come down glowing in the dark for God. I mean, they've been exposed to it all. But Nadab and Abihu, there's this situation where it's time for sacrifice and these guys it says they burned false incense or profane fire before the lord if you remember they went into the holy place they were lit up they went out and got drunk and then they went stumbling into the to the holy of holies and they were burning strange fire and what did god do to them what did he do to them he smoked them that's the right word he did he fired them from the ministry i mean because fire came down from the sky that's exactly what happened he, they died immediately. And it was a warning to every future priest going forward. Hey guys, you've been put in a position of authority, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to trust in me. And that doesn't mean you get to live by your own rules. There's a few pastors that probably ought to hear that today. Amen? Just because, you know, your name's in the front, or what, and it shouldn't be, but if it is, doesn't mean that, you know, you need to be submitted to God. You need to be seeking His face. Well, these guys went in, and they got arrogant. Now, can you imagine Aaron? Because Aaron goes from the greatest moment of joy in his life, and now two, his two boys, his two oldest sons, have been struck down dead by God. And kind of hard to argue with God when your kids get smoked, right? That means they deserve it, because God is a just and a righteous and a faithful God. And so... He's reminding him here in chapter 16, the first verse is bringing him back to that point where these guys took this strange fire and they did not get the fire from the altar. The fire was supposed to be taken from only one spot, the place where they had burnt offerings and where they made sacrifice. And that was the only place they were to take fire. 
Why? Because that was the fire that was lit before the Lord at all times. They were not to take something from another fire because then they were saying, well, this is not the only way. This is not the only path. This is not the only truth. We can just go get a fire somewhere else. You know, we don't have to follow Jesus Christ, as people might say today. You know, we can follow, you know, a yogi or we can follow the, you know, the new age. Oh, I met a guy down at the mall. Seems pretty enlightened. I think I'll follow him, right? I mean, we try to follow, people try to follow everything else. Well, that's what these guys did. They were following and they went after strange fire. They were disobedient to God. Also, as we're going to see tonight, only one person was ever supposed to go in the Holy of Holies, and they were only supposed to go in on one day, the Day of Atonement. If you went in any other day, you were struck down dead. So these guys blew it all over the place. They took strange fire, they were drunk, they wanted to get people's attention to look at them, they went stumbling into the Holy of Holies, two guys, because it can only be one, there's only one high priest, there's only one Savior, Jesus Christ alone, and God smoked them. And so now... We're being reminded of that because God wants to teach him some more things about being the priest and what goes on with being the high priest during the day. So they went in together. They ended up losing their lives because, again, the wages of sin is death. They were standing unworthily on holy ground, and the result was that they were fired from ministry. Look at verse 2. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come in at just any time into the holy place. The word holy place there, that's holy of holies. Those of you who are here in Exodus, we were going through the, the tabernacle. That's the most holy place. That's the place where the Shekinah glory of Almighty God would dwell. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that place was only supposed to be entered on the Day of Atonement and only by the high priest to make sacrifice for the people at no other time. It was never to be entered any other time. And he said, you're not to come in at just any time into the holy place or the holy of holies. Inside the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. The answer is, why can't we go into, why couldn't they just go into the holy of holies any time? Because holy God's presence dwelt there. And if you have sinful man in the presence of holy God, what happens to sinful man? He gets smoked. He dies. Anybody comes up and tells you, yeah, I've had people tell me this many times. I went up to heaven or my friend went up to heaven and talked to God and God sent him back. Uh, liar. <laughs> Didn't happen. Okay. I mean, they tell you that. Oh, yeah, God went up and put a scepter on my shoulder and then sent me. Oh, stop it. First of all, if you went to heaven, you wouldn't be coming back. And if you did, you wouldn't be living like you're living. But here's the reality that no man has seen God at any time. No one's going up into heaven and coming back because we cannot be in the presence of Almighty God. We'd be a big pile of toast. Okay? Can't happen. And so the, the glory of God dwelt in, in that place. And only one time a year, and we'll see how they're able to go in with the Shekinah glory of God dwelling in there in just a minute. Only one time a year could they go in only the Day of Atonement and only the High Priest. So nobody else could. Now, sometimes we think, wouldn't it be cool to live in the Old Testament days? Have you ever thought about that? Wouldn't it be cool? Yeah, you go, man, I'd love to see the Red Sea part. That would be awesome. Some of you guys would be grabbing a surfboard. I know, you, I know it, right? But, man, I'd love to see the Red Sea part. I'd love to see the plagues on Egypt and Passover. That'd be great. What about being where Elijah was and fire coming down from the sky? And you think, man, it'd be pretty awesome to live in the Old Testament days. I want to tell you something. We're the most blessed people that have ever lived. You know why? Because in the Old Testament, they didn't have this. They had the law, part of the time, the five books in Septuagint, but they did not have the Bible. And you know what else they didn't have? They didn't have the Holy Spirit. You know what else they didn't have? They didn't have Jesus come to earth yet. They were still waiting for the Messiah, and it was a mystery to them. They didn't fully understand it. We're the most blessed of all people. 
And so back in the Old Testament times, we see here that he's telling them very clearly, look, you cannot go in because, one, if you do, you're going to die because that's where I dwell. My glory is dwelling there and you cannot come into my presence because you're sinful man and I'm holy God. Okay, verse 3. Thus Aaron shall, shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. Now listen, before he could go in, and I would think that Aaron would be a little skittish about going into the Holy of Holies. How about you? The last time someone went into the Holy of Holies, it was his two sons and they got smoked. So he's probably thinking, Moses can do it. I could sit right out here. I'm fine. Right? I mean, remember last week we talked about when they, they said to Jesus, they were coming to arrest Jesus, and they said, who, he said, who are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And every guy, 600 guys, went straight back on their backs, armor falling everywhere, torches falling on, people getting burnt. And then they, he asked the question again, right? And I imagine, you know, the first time, Jesus, and the second time, um, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, right? Getting ready to fall. Well, I think it's kind of the same way for Aaron here. Aaron, you know, his sons got smoked in the Holy of Holies, and he's probably going, well, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm right with God on this program, because I know what happens real quick if you miss God. You go strutting in there when you're not supposed to, I'm, I'm paying attention to this. Now, what does God tell Aaron that as the high priest that he must do? What must he do before he can enter in? So the first thing he must do is he must, before he can come to the holy place, he bring, is to bring the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering. Now, Aaron's the high priest. Do you mean he has to bring an offering for himself? The answer is absolutely. You know what? Every one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen? Your past, you know this if you've known me for 10 minutes, but I'm a stinking sinner in need of a savior, just like you guys. I'm one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, okay? But what happens is sometimes we think that certain people, are, oh, well, they've been walking with God so long, they, I'm sure they just don't sin anymore. Well, yeah, they do, okay? And that's how it is with Aaron. I mean, he's putting this high pedestal in this high position before people. He's, he's the high priest. He's the only guy that gets to go into the Holy of Holies. There's no doubt there are plenty of people in Israel that would love to go in. And none of them get to. Only Aaron. First of all, you had to be an Israelite. Then you had to be of the line of Levi. And then you had to be of the uh, family of Aaron. And then you had to be Aaron's oldest son or descendant. And only then could you go in. That meant everybody else not going in. What about all these guys who spent, remember for those of you here in Exodus, how, many, how much time did they spend building the tabernacle? You guys remember that? They all brought their gold and they brought their silver and they brought all their stuff to build it. And now it's being built and they can't go in. Sorry, guys, you can stand outside and look, but you can't go in. Now, Aaron has been elevated to this position of high priest. And so the people look at him, and they might even think, wow, Aaron. Well, God wants to make it real clear to Aaron and to the people that just because he's the high priest doesn't mean that he doesn't need atonement, because he does. He's a sinner, and we saw that when he made the golden calf when his brother was up on the mountain, remember? Moses goes up on the mountain, what does, what does Aaron do? Oh, he's never coming back. He left his daughter to die. They cried out for a God. And so he makes a golden calf, and his brother comes down, right? Moses comes down and throws the Ten Commandments down and says, what have you done? Oh, uh, the, the, we just threw our stuff, and this calf popped out of there all by itself. Aaron, 
That's, that's the high priest, Aaron. So nobody should be wondering if this guy is perfect, because I think we know that. But God wants to make it real clear that those in positions of authority, those in ministry, are still in just a desperate need of God as anybody else. And he makes it clear to Aaron, look, Aaron, the first thing you have to do to enter into the Holy of Holies, you have to go in there first and make sacrifice for yourself, because you're a sinner. And you need to make sacrifice for yourself, because before you can minister to somebody else, you have to get your own walk with God right. That's a message for everybody in this room. Before you can effectively minister to somebody else, your own walk with the Lord must be right. Amen? You know, sometimes we wonder, you know, I don't know why God's not using me. I've had people say that to me. You know, I really want to be used by the Lord and God's not using me. I'm like, you know what? That doesn't sound like the God I know. God wants to use us and the only people he's not using are the people that won't let him use them. But uh, yeah, well, I, I want to be used. I, I, you know, I, I try to, God never talks to me. You're not listening. You know, how's your prayer life? Well, I, you know, I'm kind of busy. I just don't have a whole, how's your devotional life? Well, I, you know, I read my book on Sunday morning. When you're reading it, I read with you. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the Word, right? But God's just not using me. Well, your walk's not where it needs to be. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, searching for one who can show himself strong on account of. God's just looking for somebody to say, Lord, use me, and mean it. He knows our heart. And here we see Aaron, and we see these high priests, and the Lord's making it real clear. Guys, if your walk is not where it needs to be, you can't minister to anybody else. So you've got to come with repentance first before you can go and intercede on behalf of the people. And we need to do the same thing. You want to see revival in Santa Cruz County? How many want to see revival in Santa Cruz County? Raise your hand. Guess where it has to start? In the chairs and right here. Amen? We fall in love with Jesus and we start having a burden for the lost and we start seeing the world with his eyes. Guess what's going to happen? There'll be revival in Santa Cruz. But it's got to start in me first. It's got to start in you first. We'll be contagious. We'll have an impact on the world. So he's making it real clear. You need a sin offering. The sin offering points to the sin nature of man. And a burnt offering, and I'm not going to go into it because when we went through the first 10 chapters, grab the tapes, they're free. We went into every one of these in detail and every one of these offerings points so clearly to our Savior. So they had to come, he had to come before God, and he could not come before God apart from the shed of, shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. That's why you can't get to heaven through Buddha. Amen? Why? Well, first of all, Buddha's dead, and we can go get, dig up his bones, and he's a dead guy, and that's it, right? But you can't get there because he didn't die for anybody. You ever seen Buddha on a cross? He went not on a cross. He's always sitting with a big fat stomach with oranges in his lap. I've yet to figure that part out. But here's the thing. People think they can get to heaven some other way, but Jesus Christ is the only way. And that's the clear message that you see over and over and over in the sacrificial system that it points to the Lord. Now, verse 4 there, it says he must put on the holy linen. Now, those of you guys who are here again in Exodus, remember the clothing that the high priest was to wear? What was it like? Does anybody remember? What was it like? There was some white underneath, but it was, it was very, uh, what's the word, radiant. It was purple. And he had, remember that he had a breastplate with 12 beautiful jewels on the breastplate? And each of the jewels represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were near and dear to his heart, and they all reflected in a different way. And do you remember that he had pomegranates and bell, bells on the bottom of his, of his hem? And when he would walk around, there was no doubt that this guy was the high priest. But you'll notice that when he has the high priest going in to the Holy of Holies, he tells them, take all that stuff off. You just come in wearing white linen trousers and, you know, white 
sash and a, a white hat, white turban, white, again, showing righteousness before God, but showing submission and humility. When you go before the Lord, there's only one person who gets the glory. Amen? And it's not you. Only Him. And so when they're, you're going to that holy place, He's like, look, lose all your stuff, okay? You just come in here wearing white, be humble and submitted to the Lord. And so he clothes them, and I, and I want to just point out there that it has linen trousers. I like that, because it's talking about having purity in the areas that no one else sees. So here we are, at this, it's Yom Kippur, and he's coming into that place, and the Lord is telling him to, to be humble. It says in Philippians, it says, But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And so he says there, I want you to come in and I want you to wear these all-white garments. I want you to take off your priestly robes. I want you to put them all down. And I want you to come before me in humility and brokenness. That's when we meet the Lord. Amen? Now we come in in pride and arrogance. Now we come in thinking we're doing God a favor by showing up, right? It's when we come in in humility and brokenness. And so he's telling them, I want you to just come in wearing the, the white and be, be humble before me. And it says there, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. It's interesting that we're cleansed by, here that he's cleansed by the word and he's clothed in righteousness, and that's exactly how it happens. When, you, when water in the Bible is a representation of two things, it can be the Word and it can also be the Holy Spirit. And when you see washing by the water of the Word of God in Ephesians chapter 5, when you're cleansed by the Word, then you can walk in righteousness. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So when we read God's Word, that's how our faith grows. We become more like Him. We start walking in holiness. You can't walk in obedience to something you've never read. If I gave you a car and you had never read any manuals and you'd never seen anybody else drive, it would be a disaster. You'd be driving on curbs and over signs and breaking stuff because you would have no idea what's right and wrong. And the same is true in our lives. If we struggle in walking in holiness, we need to read God's Word because this is the, the owner's manual right here for us walking around on this earth. And so he says there, cleanse your, cleanse your body, make your body clean and come in humility before me. So the preparation of the high priest is he's clothed in righteousness, he comes in with the blood of the sacrifice in his hand, and he comes in in humility, verse 5-10. through 10. And he, he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. So again, the first thing that Aaron must do before he intercedes on behalf of anyone else is get his own life right with God. Before you worry about, you know, again, I hear people say this, well, man, I wish so-and-so had been here. This message would have been perfect for them. <laughs> you ever done that? Man, why wasn't so-and-so here? This would have been a great message for that guy at work. He's such a jerk, right? And you're here. Don't worry about the guy at work, right? God wants to minister to us, amen? We're always pointing at other people. And he's letting Aaron know, look, before you do anything else, you need to make atonement for yourself and for your house. Verse 7. He shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. That's where the word came from. We'll talk about that in a minute. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. 
But the goat on which the lot fell to be a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. Now, again, because I don't have time, I'd love to go into every detail of the sin offering and the burnt offering. We don't have time to do that. But I can say this, that the sin offering was very clearly pointing to the sin nature of man. And the burnt offering was pointing to the fact that there had to be total consecration. The burnt offering, remember, they burned it all completely. Nothing was left over. The sin offering, a portion of it was given to the priest. Okay, So we see here that he said he's got to take a sin offering and a burnt offering and make sacrifice before the Lord. But he's to bring two goats. Now, let's take a look at the next couple of verses here. We're going to see something about the why these specific animals and how they're going to be used. Look at verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. So Aaron's first offering, again, is for himself, because he had to be cleansed of his own sin before he could continue in priestly ministry. That's only not been true of one person. It's always the answer here. What's the answer? Jesus, okay? He did not have to make sacrifice for himself because he is perfect. Jesus Christ is not only the great high priest, but he's the perfect lamb of God. He's not only the one that offers the sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. Amen? He's both the great high priest and the perfect lamb of God. But we see here that because he's the priest, the first thing that must happen is he must bring sacrifice for himself. Before he could function as mediator between sinful man and holy God, he had to start with his own heart. And then it says here he had to cleanse, begin by cleansing his own household. You know, if you want God to use you, if you want to see your lost family and your neighbors saved, if you want to see God do great things, it must begin again in our own hearts. Verse 12. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it inside the veil. Now, what were his boys holding in their hands? And where did they go when they got smoked? They were holding censers in their hands and they walked inside of the veil. And now the Lord's telling them, I want you to take a censer in your hand and I want you to go behind that curtain over there where they drug your boy's bodies out. Now you can imagine again, Aaron, if his eyes are on the circumstances, he's going to say, I'm not interested. If his eyes are on the Lord, he's going to realize what a privilege and a blessing it is to enter into the presence of Almighty God. You know, when we go through trials and difficulties, God will use them for His glory if we'll let Him. And so Aaron's sitting there and he's being instructed that first you have to bring the blood and the sacrifice for yourself, but now it's time to bring the incense. Now, incense in the Bible is a picture always of what? It's always of prayer. Remember, where's the altar of incense? Right outside that holy place. Now, the veil that he would enter into where the Ark of the Covenant was, remember, this is not, you know, a little curtain like you see in a dressing room, okay? This thing took a hundred priests to put up it was 10 inches thick and when jesus died on the cross what happened to that veil torn in half from top to bottom because god tore it and then we were all able to enter into that most holy place anywhere and any time well prior to that only the high priest only on the day of atonement coming to aaron and says aaron when you come in you need to have first of all got your own life right before me you need to have that that blood offering first but then I want you to take a censer. Now, censer, for a better word, is like a fire pan or a, uh, like a perfuming pot. And inside of that, they would put burning coals. And these coals would stay lit inside of it. So it was like a pan. But then they could take this incense. And what he's telling them to do, he says, I want you to take this handful of sweet incense and put it in your hands. This incense that's beaten fine. 
And you're going to take that, and you're going to put that in the sensor, and then you're going to bring that into the veil. Now, I want to say really clearly, just so we understand this, that the sensor was burning coals that came straight from the altar. Had to be the altar of burnt offering that was burning 24 hours a day, that was a sweet-smelling aroma in the presence of the Lord. That, the coals had to come from there. If they came from anywhere else, you'd be getting nadabbed. Okay? You could not do that. They had to come from there. So, no doubt, Aaron said, okay. Goes over and he gets the burning coals. Now, the, the altar of burnt offering points to what? What does it point to? The cross. Okay? It's where the sacrifices took place. Remember, there's four horns on the altar of burnt offering, just like there's four points on the cross. Remember when they made the burnt offering, they would take the blood and sprinkle it on all four of the horns. Again, exactly how our Savior bled from His head and His feet and both of His hands. Even they, they even talk about the fact that the size of the burnt altar was perfect for a man to lay down on it. The exact dimensions of it, the way God commanded it be built. Incredible. Picture of the cross. So the burning coals must come from there, from that altar, because again, it's a type or a picture of the cross. If you're going to enter into the Holy of Holies, you better be going with the cross in front of you. Amen? And that's what we have. That's why we can enter in. But then it said, not only the cross, but then you need to take this sweet incense, which is a picture of prayer. And you need to take this sweet incense, and look what it says about the incense. It says it's beaten fine. Now, what is another word for beaten? Another word for beaten is broken. And you take this broken incense, and you pour it out upon the, the, the fire. And what it would do is it would produce a sweet aroma and a cloud of incense that would cover the entire mercy seat. So here's our answer, you guys, why he could go in on the Day of Atonement. The Lord would have him take this sweet incense. He would, it was broken. He would drop it into the censer, and it would just bring out this huge cloud of an aroma, and it would also just fill the room. And so that he could enter in, because it would literally cloud up the holy place, and he would not be able to look upon the Lord. He'd be able to be in his presence, but he would not be able to look upon him. Now what I love about this, though, is we see here the cross. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, the Bible says, right? But then we also see the incense. And the incense, again, in his hands, a picture of prayer, holding it up with his hands. But then it's fine, and it's crushed, and it's beaten, and it's broken. Where are we going to see God? How are we going to enter into his presence? A man is the only thing that becomes more valuable when broken. It begins at the cross with salvation. We then go through the refiner's fire of purification. And then it's mixed with that sweet incense of prayer. And then what happens? Then we can enter into God's presence. So we see here, he takes this, this censer, and it's got a picture of the cross. That's where it begins with salvation. But now, the brokenness, the humility being broken before God, and it's crushed, and it's all put together, and the prayer's before God, and now we can enter into God's presence. We cannot enter into God's presence without the cross. Amen? We cannot enter into God's presence without being broken over our sin. Without conviction, there will be no need for conversion. We cannot enter into God's presence without being humble before Him. And so we see here this very clear picture on the Day of Atonement that applies to every one of our lives in this room tonight. You've been saved, but you want to draw closer to God. Let me tell you what you need to do. Pray. Pray. Bible says, you shall make my father's house a house of what? Prayer. Prayer. Say house of preaching? No. House of worship? 
house of fellowship, house of potlucks, house of pancakes. I mean, no. It says house of prayer. You shall make my father's house a house of prayer. And you know, if there's anything that we, we're lacking in the, the church universal today, is we don't pray enough. We want to see God do great and awesome things, let's pray more. Every revival that ever happened, it starts with people on their knees. Amen? You want to see people in your neighborhood saved? I want to encourage you with something. Walk around your neighborhood. Most people have their name on their mailbox, right? A lot of people do. Write down the name of about 20 of your neighbors on their mailbox and just start praying for them and watch what God does. I did that in Southern California. I'm blown away what God did, just writing down the names of my neighbors and praying for them by name. Start praying for your coworkers by name. That's how we enter in and draw close to God. It begins at the cross, and then we're broken before Him, and then we come with a heart and an attitude of prayer. Does God love it when we pray? Yes. Let me, how many parents we have here? Do you love it when your child gets up and sits in your lap and talks to you? More than anything in the world. My little girl or my boys would come and sit in my lap and say, Daddy, and start talking. I'm done. What do you, what do you, you want the car? What do you want? You have it all. You know. Right? I just, because you just love them so much. Well, we're his children. And I'm sinful. Dad, he's perfect, holy God. How much does he love it when I come near to him? And that's why, to me, it's such an awesome picture here as you see them taking that censer with that crushed incense, which is a picture of prayer, and that's when he can draw in and he experiences the glory of God when he comes in broken before the Lord, dressed in the clothes of humility, he's able to enter into God's presence, and he's right there with the glory of God. You want to be near the glory of God? Be humble, be broken, and be someone who prays. And you know what? We can be just like Aaron, and even more so because we don't have to wait till the Day of Atonement. We can do it driving home tonight from church. Now it says in the next verse there, in verse uh, 13, And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is, the, that is on the testimony, lest he die. So he would have to come in. As soon as he did it, it would fill the room. And if he didn't do it, he would die. Why? Because he'd be in the presence of Almighty God. He'd observe his glory and it would smoke him. But if he came in broken and he came in with the heart of prayer and he came in with the, the censer filled with the, the coals from the altar, there's a picture of the cross, then he could be in God's presence and he could be near to him. And that's what God desires to do with every one of us. Now it says there, where did he put it? He put it on the mercy seat. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So when he comes in, the first thing he does is he puts the incense, the cloud raises up in there, and then he's supposed to go near and take the the blood and sprinkle it one time on the mercy seat. Now, in the Ark of the Covenant, what's inside the Ark under the mercy seat? What's inside? There's three things in the Ark of the Covenant. What are they? Who knows? The manna, God's provision. Remember when they're wandering in the wilderness? What else? Aaron's rod. And what else? The Ten Commandments. Okay? So manna, God's provision. Aaron's rod, authority of the priesthood. And then the law. Now, it's interesting that if anybody ever picked up the mercy seat and looked straight down into the ark, what happened to him? Came over. Why? Because if you just go straight to the law without the mercy of God, you're guilty. Amen? The mercy seat is on top of the law and it covers the law because the law reveals to us that we are sinners. You cannot be saved by keeping the law. Too many people trying to do that. 
I love when people tell me that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm this denomination, I'm this or whatever, and I'll say, well, there's 252 laws I must keep. A Jewish guy told me that once. I said, one of my customers back when I was in sales still, and I said, really? He goes, oh, yeah, it's 252 laws. I said, man, that must be tough. He goes, oh, it's very difficult. I go, how about impossible? I go, how's that working out for you? How are you doing on the 252, man? How many of those are you keeping? I know 10 of them, and I know you're blowing it on those, because I am, right? And can you imagine trying to do it by keeping the law? Well, right there, if you looked straight on the law, it would kill you. You had to have the mercy seat covering it. And I love the fact that he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat. What else was on the Ark of the Covenant? Two cherubim. Cherubim, or another name for cherubim would be what? Angels. One on, the toe, on each end, right? Those you go to Israel with us, okay, you're going to walk in and see the tomb where Jesus was laying when, after he was, before he rose from the dead. We're going to walk into the tomb and we're going to look and see right where Jesus was laying. And we know from God's word that when they went in to see that the linen cloth were sitting in the middle and there was blood there, right? From, from him being scourged and then crucified. And what was sitting on the foot and at the top of where he was laying? Two angels. So when they go in and sprinkle blood in the center of the mercy seat, what's that a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus in the tomb. When he was laying in the tomb, there's an angel on each end. The blood was being sprinkled in the middle. And when they went to see the risen Savior, what did they see? Linen cloth stacked up, blood in the middle, angels on each end. Picture of the Ark of the Covenant. So he was going in and he's sprinkling blood. Again, all pointing to Jesus Christ 1,500 years before he came to earth. What an awesome picture. But then it says he, after he sprinkled one drop of blood, and it's only one drop because we only have one Savior, only one Redeemer. Amen? There are no co-redeemers despite what somebody might tell you. You can't get there through Mary, and you can't get there through Joseph Smith, and you can't get there through Charles Taze, you can't get through all those guys, a bunch of sinners, and need him a Savior. Amen? That's why there's one drop. But he steps back, and then he says he takes, does seven drops on the ground before the mercy seat. Seven in the Bible is the number of what? Completion or perfection, right? Who's the perfect sacrifice? The Lord. When he died on the cross, what was the last thing he said? It is finished. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And he sprinkled seven drops of blood on the ground. After sprinkling one drop of blood in the mercy seat, pointing to Jesus, he sprinkles seven more on the ground to say this is, he doesn't even understand it, but this is a complete, this is finished. It's also interesting to me when you look at the crucifixion that Jesus bled from seven different points in his body. He bled from his head from the crown of thorns. He bled from each of his hands from the nails or spikes that were put in his hands. He bled from each of his feet. He bled from his back from where he was scourged. And then lastly, after he died, what did they do to him? Put a spear in his side. So he bled from seven places because he's perfect, holy God, and it is finished, and it's complete, and it's done. And they were sprinkling seven drops of blood before the mercy seat, 1,500 years before it happened. Oh, the Bible just a bunch of stories, right? People tell you that? You've never read it. Because you can't help, every chapter you look at, you're going to see our perfect Lord and our perfect Savior. And so he went in and he sprinkled the blood. And as he sprinkled the blood, again, a perfect picture of our Lord. And he sprinkled it on the mercy seat. Praise God for mercy. Amen? Aren't you glad that our God is a God of love and grace and of mercy? Now verse 15, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil. And do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So the bull, he sacrificed for himself. Before he could sacrifice for the people, I, I know I'm berating this, but they keep saying it in the text. 
he had to go in and make sacrifice for himself. Then he made the sacrifice for the people. But notice, what did he use to sacrifice for the people? What kind of animal? It's a goat. It's important. We'll see that in just a couple of verses here. All right? So the one goat was slaughtered. And remember when they slaughtered these goats, I don't have to go into too much detail, but remember, they had to bring these little innocent animals in. You ever been to a petting zoo? You ever petted a little goat before? Right? They're not real sharp, but they're kind of cute, right? And so you pet them. And they didn't do anything. Just, you know, just, they just kind of stand there, right? They're little lambs, sheep, you're petting them. But can you imagine going up to one of those little lambs at the petting zoo and holding it in your hand and looking at its big eyes, you know, and then slitting its throat? Because that's what they had to do. That, and you know why they had to do it? Because of their sin, not because of what the goat... I mean, if the goat, you know, went in your house and, you know, ate your stocks and bonds, you probably would have no problem slitting its throat, right? But if the animal, you know, ate your sofa or something, right? You'd be like, where's my gun, right? But what if that poor little animal was just living around your house and you had to give it a name and you had to inspect it for, for four days to make sure it was, didn't have any blemishes and your kids were all loving it and riding around the backyard and now you're taking it down there and you're holding it and it's just looking at you waiting for a, you know, a biscuit or something, right? And you've got to kill it because it's a picture for us how horrible sin is and that sin requires a heavy-duty price. And so the first goat... Aaron had to slit its throat, and after he did that, we see here that we're going to see one more goat here in just a second. Verse 16, so you shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So now he's making atonement, he's made it for their sins, and now he's making atonement for the holy place itself. Because of their transgressions for all their sins, so you shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Even though this was holy and set apart to be used by God, they still had to go in and make atonement for the tabernacle because when people came to the tabernacle, the tabernacle became defiled. Hey, let me encourage you with something. If you're looking for the perfect church, you will never find it. You know why? Because all of them have people. And if it was perfect when you you got there, you would ruin it when you showed up because you're a person. Amen? Amen? We need to look for the place where God's called us to be, where we can serve and we can minister and we can love other people. But it's saying that the tabernacle was already defiled. They just built this thing. And he's having to make atonement for the tabernacle because it's been defiled, because people have been near it. Because of the sin of people, it's brought defilement to the tabernacle. And that's so true even in the church today. That, you know, a lot of, very few people really struggle with Jesus. They struggle with Christians. You ever notice that? You start talking about Jesus, and they start talking about a Christian business. Oh, this guy ripped me off for 15, you know, he got a fish on the back of his car, and he's ripping me off, right? They very rarely have anything to say about Jesus. They may not believe in him, but they don't have anything to say. They got a lot to say about Christians, though. And so we see here that the tabernacle was defiled, and he had to make atonement to cleanse the place where they met, because it had been defiled by the people who were coming in and out of there. Verse 17. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and all the assembly of Israel. When he goes in, he must go in what? Alone. Why? This should be pretty evident. Why did he have to go in alone? Why? Somebody say it. Picture of Christ. Christ. How many people are on the cross? How many saviors are there? He didn't have, that's why did Nadab and Abihu get smoked? Because they went in together. It's not God's plan. It was one. Only the high priest could go in. Only one savior. Only one Lord. Only one Messiah. Only one God. And so he had to go in alone. 
And he's writing it out for him. Bro, you need to go in. First of all, you need to have the, the, the sensor. You need to come in and you need to humble yourself. You need to take off all your garb. You need to come in in humility. You need to come in in brokenness. You need to bring the sensor. You need to be prayed up. You need to come in with a, a, a heart for me. And then you need to come in alone. And you need to come in and shed the blood. You need to sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Verse 18. And he shall go out of the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Just like we talked about before. The horns were there to hold the sacrifices down onto the altar while they burnt them. Again, four points. Picture of what? Our Savior. Verse 19. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it, from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So he's cleansing. The, right now what he's cleansing is the altars themselves that they might make sacrifice upon them. He's cleansing the tabernacle. Where's the temple of the Holy Spirit today? Us. This is a picture, again, to me, that we need to be cleansed in our own walk if we want to be effective for the kingdom like I've been talking about before. So, again, has your, the word there, consecrated, is one of my favorite words. You've heard me define it. What does consecrated mean? Set apart for what? For holy use or for service of God. Consecrated, set apart for holy use. Which means, if they had a goblet or something that was set apart, they were saying, we only use this when we drink from the table. And no other time. Nobody touches it any other time. That's the only thing it's used for. God wants us to live consecrated lives. Does that mean I can't go to work? No. It means that when you go to work, look to be used by God while you're at work. Amen? Don't go witnessing, be a witness. Amen? All the time. Look for opportunities to share your faith. Be consecrated and set apart unto the Lord. Verse 20. And when he's made an end of the atoning of the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring in a live goat. Now remember they had two goats when they started. We'll be done here in a minute. Remember they had two goats when they started? What did they do to the first goat? Now this is the live goat. He kind of wins out on the program, right? The live goat. But here's the live goat, and, they, and this, there's another name for the live goat. What's it called? Scapegoat. Now, they take the scapegoat, or this live goat, and look at verse 21. Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. So he bring the goat in, they kill one of the goats, and then they bring the other one in, and they literally, he puts his hands on it. When they put their hands on the sacrifice, what was that a picture of, remember? Identifying yourself with the sacrifice. You're saying, this is a representation of me. And they put their hand on his head, and he confesses all the sins of Israel, and then they give that goat to a suitable man, and he takes the goat out into the middle of the wilderness, and lets it go. And the animal runs away, never to be seen again, and taking the sins of Israel with him. Scapegoat. That's where the term comes from. Somebody who's blamed for something they didn't do. Oh man, that guy's the scapegoat. Well, that's exactly where it comes from. It's because they would confess their sins, and they would drag the animal away, and it would never come back. And you know, there's several verses that come to mind. What does the Bible say? The Lord separates our sin as far as what? As far as the east is from the west. And there's a picture of it. They confess their sins and the goat runs away and he's taking the sin and it's like, get out of here! And they, they'd even have people set up at certain distances and they checkpoint 20, he just went by, right? And they finally get to the point where he's out of here, we can't see him anymore. And everybody's rejoicing because all the sins of Israel just went away. I'm glad we don't have to go confess out in front of a goat out and, you know, shoo him down on the beach, right? And keep going, right? I'm glad 
that Christ paid the price. And the Bible says, we believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will be saved to glory of the Father. Amen? You don't have to, we don't have to get any goats anymore. I'm glad we're not dragging lambs in here. I'm glad I'm not wearing a purple robe and slitting animals. Through. Man, I, I, thank you, Lord, that that's taken care of. Amen? A few more verses won't be done. It said, the goat shall bear in itself all the iniquities of the un, of, to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, and shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. So he takes off the garments that he used when he was in the Holy of Holies, and now he's going to put his other garments back on. He shall wash his body with water in the holy place, and put on his garments, and come out and offer his burnt offering, and burnt offering to the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. So now that he's gone into the holy place, and now that he's restored sinful man back to holy God, he's going to go out and literally make the regular atonement for the people, making the burnt offering out on the burnt altar, right in front of everybody, where everybody can see it. The sacrifice for all of mankind on the Day of Atonement. I want to get to this point, though, and then we'll close. Verse 25. It says there, And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. The fat was always considered what part of the, of the animal? The best part. And who always gets the best? The Lord. He gets the best, not the rest. Amen? Well, what do we got left? Sunday morning, what do we got left? $1.75. Well, there it is. So we're given. How much time we got left to read our Bible tonight? You know, well, we just watched the, you know, Johnny Carson Marathon, and uh, I'm kind of tired, so throw me a verse. All right, sounds good. All right? You know, my walk's suffering. I can't figure out why. Give God the rest. Give God the best, right? Give Him the best of your time, the best of your efforts. Verse 26. And he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. Again, the guy that touched the goat would be defiled. You cannot touch sin and not be defiled by it. Bad company corrupts good morals every single time. Missionary dating is ungodly. I'd hit somebody in here. I had to. Right? Youth, kids and youth groups come to me all the time. Well, Pastor Dave, you don't understand. He's just a really nice guy. And he's really, really nice. Really. Ask anybody. He's really nice. And he's got a nice car. You know? <laughs> he's on the football team. Right? And, and I'm going to bring him to church. And I prayed about it, and God said it was okay. Oh, let me step right Because God never disagrees with His Word. Amen? God will never tell you to do something contrary to His Word. And every time you touch sin, it's going to impact you. Every time you go and you hang out with sin, and every time you go and you hang out with the world, you're going to get defiled by it. And that's what happened here. This guy was doing what he was called by God to do, to take this, the goat out, and he said, when he comes back, you still got to be cleansed because you were touching that goat with all the sin on it. And when you touch the goat with the sin on it, you have sin all over you. Good example for us. The bull, of the, verse 27, of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. Now, we've talked about this. Why outside the camp with the burnt offering? What happened outside the camp? Jesus was crucified. Those, again, you go to Israel with us, you're going to see Jerusalem, and you're going to walk down through the Kidron Valley, and you're going to go across the other side near the Mount of Olives, and you're going to see Golgotha or Calvary, and it is outside of the city. That's why whenever they made sacrifice and burnt offering, they were always sprinkling, the, they were always pouring the blood out on the north side of the altar. That's exactly where Jesus was crucified at Calvary, just outside the north side of where the temple used to be. Nothing happens in the Bible by chance. It's all pointing to our Savior. We're almost done. Verse 29. 
This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. Now, this is a statute forever, which means every year they've got to go through this program. Because the blood of an animal is not good enough. So every year they have to do this to cover their sins as they wait for the Messiah who will eventually come. So every year they're going through this whole program. Every year the high priest has got to do all these different sacrifices only on the Day of Atonement. Got to take the goat and, and send him away. The goats probably rejoiced when Jesus came because they had to start killing less goats, right? But here's the thing. They no longer had to make that sacrifice anymore. But before that, on the, always on, I love this, on the t- seventh month, on the tenth day. Seven is the number of what? Completion. Ten in the Bible is, is the number of what? What does it point to? There are how many commandments? Ten. The law. And what's awesome to me is that law is what shows us our need for a Savior. Amen? And so they did it on the seventh month, on the tenth day. Again, desperate need of a Savior, always making atonement. Verse 30. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you, to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Again, praise God. The priest shall make atonement for you. It doesn't say you make atonement for yourself. It doesn't say you do 12 steps to heaven. You know, crawl on your knees to Mecca on broken glass and God will have to let you in, right? It says here that the priest made atonement for you. Christ paid the price for you. Praise God. Verse 31. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. That is a statute forever. When he says afflict your souls there, it doesn't mean hurt yourself. Afflict your souls really is pointing to fasting. He's saying you need to fast and pray during this time each year, during the time of the Days of Atonement. Fast and pray and seek the Lord. I want to encourage you with something if you've never done it. I don't want you to raise your hand or anything, but fast and pray. What, what, are, we, what are we putting in, under submission when we fast? Your flesh. Does your flesh like it when you fast? Uh, no. No. You know, you miss lunch. You're like, what's up with that? Yelling at your wife, 15 minutes ago you said, I need a snack, right? I mean, that's what we do, right? We're hungry. I was at the boardwalk with some of you guys last night. It was like every hot dog stand. Give me six more, right? I mean, it was out of control, man. Just food, food, food. So when we stop eating, we're, we're telling our flesh, no, the Spirit's going to be in control for a while. I'm not feeding you. I'm going to focus only on the Spirit and not on my flesh right now. Hard thing to do, to put this flesh in submission. But that's what he said here on the Day of Atonement. What I want you to do is he says there, I want you to afflict your souls. And it is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as the priest in the Father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes and the holy garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. He's just talking about the next generation. He's saying, look... When the, when the high priest dies, his son, his oldest son, will take his place and he will continue to make it because this is a statute forever. When did the statute cease? When Jesus came. These statutes were year after year. So 1,500 years they did this. Then Jesus came, don't have to do it anymore. You know what's interesting? You ever talk to a Jewish person and ask them why they're not making sacrifices anymore? Because it's a statute forever until the Messiah comes. How come you're not doing that anymore? Do you know that they're trying to rebuild the temple so they can go back to the sacrificial system? They're doing it. That's what they're trying to do right now. And we know that 
that the Antichrist is going to have a hand in that, and we'll be in heaven hanging out with the Lord, so it won't matter, it won't matter to us. Verse 34, This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded him. Despite all the atoning work, we see that once a year they had to keep doing it. Why? Because it wasn't enough. Why wasn't it enough? Because the blood of an animal cannot take away the sins of a sinful man. It covered our sin because it was a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ. So in review, real quick. Day of Atonement. To experience the intimacy with God, the high priest, wanted to, if he wanted to enter into the Holy of Holies, he had to come clothed in righteousness and humility. He had to be broken before God and have a heart of prayer. Our tabernacle, this tent we dwell in, must be cleansed for holy use. The atonement was no longer, again, a one-year ritual, but praise God, when Jesus paid the price, no longer do we have to do this anymore. And by the way, we are the church. Whose bride are we? We're the Lord's bride. We're not dating Jesus, we're married to Him. Amen? He's the groom, we're His bride. And since we are, we should live like it. Amen? We shouldn't just be dabbling with Jesus, just kind of hanging out with Him sometimes. We're married to Him. He's our Lord, our Savior, our King. He should be more important than anything else in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word tonight, and we thank You again that this clear picture of the cross one more time. And Lord, just the fact that, that we do need that work of atonement, because Lord, we are sinners. But Father, I thank You that You didn't ask us to go out and do 75 things, but Lord, instead, You went and You paid the entire price for us. And all we have to do is confess you as Lord and Savior. Ask you to come into our life, and you promise us that you will. Father, I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord. Just open their eyes to their need for you. Father, I just pray, just uh, give them a desire and a passion to talk to somebody about what it means to be a Christian. And those of us who do know you, Lord, I pray, Father God, that tonight would be a message to encourage us and to exhort us, Lord, to walk in holiness before you, to live consecrated lives, lives set apart to be used for your glory. And Father, may we never take for granted that awesome work that you did for us on the cross. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand up and close the worship.